this journey in May of 2022. We're walking through the Gospel of John, and here's the reason why the Gospel of John. Several years ago, when Church of the Valley began, 21 people came into the basement of our home and began exploring Jesus. This was a, a, a very uh, diverse group of people, some who had been followers of Jesus for a while, some who were coming and exploring Jesus for the first time, people from various backgrounds, people in different stages of life. And if you were to look back on the life of our church, this was probably one of my favorite seasons as a church uh, because people were there and they were just, they were seeking to know Jesus. If, if you were to ask the, 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 the general question or consensus of the group, they're like, we just want to see Jesus. We want to know Jesus. Like there's a lot of religion. There's a lot of churches. There's a lot of cultural. We just want to see Jesus. Can you just give us Jesus? We want to see Jesus. And what I learned from this very diverse group of people is that everyone has a painting or portrait of Jesus in their mind. Everyone is coming this morning with a picture of who Jesus is and who Jesus is actually shapes how you live and what you do. And so it's important that we have an accurate picture of who Jesus is. And that's kind of the, the subtitle here, painting a clear portrait of Jesus. That's what we've been doing through the gospel of John. We want to have a clear portrait. We want to see Jesus for who he truly is. And some of the portraits that we come to the table with this morning are very clear and align with the person we read about in the Bible. We're like, hey, that's, that's accurate. Some of these are distorted because we've maybe overemphasized some particular portion or character or truth of Jesus. Maybe we say, you know, like Jesus, uh, we, we see like heavy-handed religion. We see Jesus as harsh, or we see Jesus as unrelatable. Some of these are distorted by overemphasizing maybe the grace of Jesus, and we're like, oh, Jesus is accepting of all, and Jesus is accepting of, of anyone in any state of life. Absolutely, he is, but he calls us to change. He calls us to be transformed. He doesn't want to leave us where we are. It's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to stay that way. He wants to see us transformed and changed and sanctified. We can, we can see that some people come to the table and they overemphasize the love of Jesus, a Jesus who would never address sin or call for obedience. And so, um, we're going to spend several months, we've already spent several months, almost a year, uh, trying to clearly paint an accurate picture of Jesus. And as we move forward, we're going to continue to do that. And we need to look at all these different facets because we're going to see Jesus is grace. Jesus is love, but Jesus is truth. And Jesus calls us to walk in obedience. And Jesus is relatable, but yet, the way he interacts with the religious, the, the Jews, the culture of that time, it may not look like he's relatable. The things that he calls them to, uh, the, the hard questions that he makes them process. It's important that we don't just take a facet of Jesus and elevate it. We need to see Jesus for who he truly is. And ultimately, what I, what I loved about this early stage of our church life and kind of walking people through like they're just desiring to see Jesus as the more they came to see Jesus, the more they fully believed and the more their lives were transformed. And that's what we want. We want our lives to be transformed. And so in the early days, I encouraged people, hey, let's read through the gospel of John together. And so we began that 
In 2014, we began reading through the Gospel of John together, and, uh, and I just began to encourage people to take notes, to meditate on the text, to ask good questions of the text, and allow the book of John to paint an accurate picture of Jesus. And ultimately, that's what we're continuing to do. That's why we, we created these journals. And I'm going to give you uh, some, some maybe uh, uh, insight into how best to use this. And because we don't want Sunday to just be a Sunday, you come in, you hear information and you walk out the door. Uh, We want transformation to occur in your life. And so um, that's what we're doing. So I'll get to this in just a second. I'll explain how we're going to use it. But let me talk about why the gospel of John is, uh, is a great book to read, really in helping us be transformed. The whole Bible, yes, absolutely leads to transformation, but why the, why the gospel of John? Uh, John was the disciple Jesus loved. He said that often, okay? And so he was the beloved, and uh, he was the one that was closest to Jesus. So we, we read through the gospels that there was 120 disciples, probably in Acts chapter two, uh, you know, meeting there. There's about 120 people after three years of ministry. But in that 120, we know that there were 12 that really uh, invested that three years of ministry life with Jesus. We know inside that 12, the three, Peter, James, and John, and in that three, there was the one. John was the one. And so if there's anybody who knew Jesus, it was John. It was written in AD 90. John's gospel is unique from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Why? Because 90% of what's written in the gospel of John is not found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So it's unique. Where a lot of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we'll see a lot of similarities between those books. John's gospel is very unique. And he writes in John chapter 20, verse 31, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John felt like his account, John's gospel, offered something that the others didn't. Maybe, maybe there were distortions that he was trying to address. People were coming to the table and they're like, well, this is who I say Jesus to be. And this is who, who I claim Jesus to be. And John comes and says, let me kind of help through some of that muddiness and those distortions. And let me help paint a clear portrait of Jesus. And his hope in doing so that his portrait of Jesus would lead to belief. And that belief would lead to life and flourishing. That's what we want, right? Like that's what we desire. We want life. I I don't think anybody here this morning is saying, you know what? I I just want life to be miserable. I I want to live life hopeless. No, I want a life that is full, a life that's abundant, a life that is flourishing. And so that's your heart. And, uh, And so that's why we're in the gospel of John. And we kind of gave a synopsis of that here in this journal. If you'll, uh, if you have your journal, you can open up to uh, where it says John chapter 12, verse 20 through 26. Um, You're going to see that we use the acronym READ, read, examine, apply, do. This was a pattern that is not some, you know, you know, silver bullet to finding, you know, your, your next best life. 
Ultimately, it's just a way of going like, we want to saturate our lives in the good news of Jesus here in the Gospel of John. And so we want to read that text. We want to spend time in God's Word. God's Word is life. And so we want to spend time in God's Word. We want to examine. We want to take notes. We want to make observations. We want to ask good questions of the text. And then we're going to apply it. We're going to do that primarily through community groups and community groups meeting weekly, and we're going to apply the text together. And then guess what? You got to go out and do it, right? James says, we don't want to just be hearers of God's word. We want to be doers of God's word. And so it's important that we ask ourselves the question. We've asked this a lot of times here at Church of the Valley. What's the last time, when's the last time you read the Bible and it actually changed the way that you lived? We should have that happen every single week. Every single week, we should be coming to God's word and allowing God's word to expose areas of unbelief in us and asking what needs to change or be transformed in me, then we need to walk in obedience to it. And so every week, I've encouraged community groups to really come to a place every time that we come and and write one sentence, one thing I'm going to live differently in light of who Jesus is. He's come to give you life. And so that's, uh, we would encourage you on your own time, be reading the text, be making observations of the text, come take notes during the sermon, right? You got to, you got to, you got to write. I, I, I heard a statistic one time that said 90% of the things you don't write down, you forget. It's something like that. I didn't write it down. You got to write it down, right? You got to remember what, what it is, what is God teaching you? What is God showing you? So be sure and take notes. I'm not up here to entertain. Pastors aren't up here to entertain. We want you to be transformed. So take a journal, write down things, write down notes, observations, and then apply it to your life and live in light of that. And so we paused, jumping back to John chapter 12, we paused uh, right at the beginning of the summer to jump into our Summer in the Psalm series. And we came to John 12. And I, I, I was just meditating on John 12, 20 through 26. And I felt like it just surfaced again, the whole purpose of why we're in the Gospel of John. I was like, ah, we got to go back. We got to kind of wrap this in, in, and really package this in a way to help us be reminded of what it is we're seeking to do with this book and not just kind of have these standalone sermons. And so if we go to John chapter 12 and we look at verse 20 through 21, it says this. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Now this is interesting because it's the first time the Greeks were mentioned in John's gospel. And they came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee and asked him this question. We wish to see Jesus. Now, I hope our desire, the reason you're here this morning, is you want to see Jesus. It's it's not you're here this morning because you just want to participate in some religious activity and feel good about yourself at, at noon today and go on about your life. Like, you really want to see Jesus. Because by seeing Jesus and believing in Jesus, we have life and flourishing Our our life is flourishing. We want to see that. We want to experience that. We want that to be the reality of our lives. And so that's why we're here. That's that's our prayer for you. We want to see 
Jesus. Now, I love this question, this request that they come to the table with. We want to see Jesus. Like, I would love it if someone came to our connect table, walked in the door, opened the door, and like, hey, my name is so-and-so. I want to see Jesus. I'm like, man, you're in the right place. Like, that's what we want to do. We want to, we want to show people Jesus. We want to illustrate who Jesus is. And I just love the boldness of this request. I love the honesty of this request. I love the clarity of this request. They know what they want. I want to see Jesus. Now, many of you know our, our family is in transition right now. A um, few months ago, uh, we, we announced several weeks ago, our family is going to be moving and transitioning to Texas. And as we were discerning and really praying through this move, I was riding in the car with my youngest son, Jackson, and we were discussing moving. And at that time, we were still in the discernment phase. And at that time, we, did, we didn't really have any clarity as to what it was that, that we were called to do next or where we were going next. And, uh, and, and he just asked me, Dad, how do we know the right thing to do? Like, how, how do we know what it is that we're to do? And I said, we just need to hear from Jesus. We just need to hear from Jesus. And what I love about that is there's just clarity in that. There, there's honesty in that of just going, we just need to hear. We just need to, to see I, I sat at a, a table with men and Men's Connect when we first began, and I asked this question, what are you hopeful for this summer? And my answer to that question was, I, I'm just, I just need clarity. I need to see Jesus. I want to know what Jesus has for us next. I say all that because when we come to Jesus with open hands, asking to see, asking to hear, asking to know, I believe it's a prayer more times than not. He is generous to answer. We want to see you. We want to hear you. We want to experience you. And so wherever you are this morning, I want you to know that's, that's what we're doing. That's why we're here. That's what we're gathered to do. We want to see Jesus. If you're coming in this morning, you're like, I, I need clarity. I need answers. I hope that's all of us that we're coming with open hands, that we're just desiring to see and experience more of Jesus. And that's what we've been pushing you towards, pushing you to see Jesus, hear from Jesus, learn from Jesus, walk in confidence with Jesus. We began this year with Psalm 27.4, just to kind of circle back to that, that says, one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And that's what we're continuing to do. And, and that's what we're just wanting to remind you of before we kind of jump back into John's gospel. Just, we want you to see Jesus. We want you to experience Jesus. We want you to see this portrait of Jesus that we've offered to you. Now, the recap. How, do, how did we get to John chapter 12? Because John chapter 12 is a turning point. Thankfully, it fit in our schedule to kind of come to John chapter 12. And um, if, you, if you know, the book of the gospel of John is actually divided into two books. It's not illustrated in your gospel of John, but you have the book of signs that is John 1 through 12. And we see all the miracles and transformation. But in John chapter 12, you're going to see, and we're going to speak about it next week, this is a, 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 
a, a marker, a division in the book right here in John chapter 12 because of this. They said, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And up until this point, Jesus has said, he told his mom, he told his friends, he told his neighbors, he told the disciples, the hour has not yet come. The hour has not yet come. The hour has not yet come. Here he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So something happened in this moment that triggered that. These Greeks coming to inquire, these Greeks coming to ask and desiring, hey, we want to see Jesus. It was that moment that triggered, okay, the time has come. The time has come. So what happens from there to the end of John's gospel it is, is we're looking at the final week of Jesus's life. I think somebody, I thought, I, I think this is correct. Um, I want to say that what John accounts for is only 20 days of Jesus's life, which is why in John chapter 20, it says, we can't, all the books can't even contain, you know, everything that, that, that was done. 20 days. But we're in John 12, moving to the end of the book, we're looking at the final week of, of Jesus's life. And, uh, and what, have we, what have we seen in those first 12 chapters? Well, if you remember back in May 2022, some of you weren't here, so that's why we're doing this. Uh, we started and we began with John chapter 1, and we said John 1, 1 through 18 is the prologue. What we would say is it's the trailer of the movie. Everything that you see in John 1, 1 through 18 is everything that you're going to experience through the gospel of John. And so I want to come back to that, and I want to show you what we highlighted when we walked through John 1, 1 through 18. And I want you to be reminded this morning of where we've seen those things prove true in the life of Jesus. And so in John 1, 1 through 18, the prologue, the prologue, John 1, 1 through 18, was written after the book was written. It was given to describe what you're going to encounter in the book. It only scratches the surface. Again, we, we're spending two years helping kind of give clarity to those things that, that we stated. And so... Uh, Let's begin. The first thing, verse 1, it says, in the beginning. That's where John's gospel began, right? In the beginning. What's interesting, if, if, again, if we go back, like Mark, Mark's gospel, he, he was fast-paced. He wasted no time. He began right with John the Baptist. We look at Luke's gospel. He gave a detailed account of the birth of Jesus. John's gospel goes, hey, no, this Jesus goes way back. Where does it go? In the beginning. In the beginning, where else have we heard that? In the book of Genesis, right? The book of Genesis begins with in the beginning. In the beginning, God created. And here we have in the beginning in John's gospel again. And what he's saying is this is a new start. This is a new creation. And kind of the overarching theme that we see in verses one through two, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And we've spent a year already unfolding this truth. But the big idea that we've seen through John's gospel is Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Now that's essential to our understanding and, and uh, really our daily walk of faith as, as believers and as Christians. Jesus was not killed for healing the, healing the sick. Jesus was not killed for uh, 
doing good works. He, he was not killed for caring for the outcast or, you know what? Hey, that guy, he fed all the hungry. Jesus wasn't killed for those things, right? He, he was killed for openly, publicly, and repeatedly saying he was God. He was God. Where do we see that? John 8, 58. Always speaking to the Jews. John 8, 58. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And kind of looking back to that I am when Moses was leading the Israelites out of Egypt, going back and it says, who is it that's sending me? Jesus, God, the Lord spoke to him, said, I am. And John chapter 10, verse 30 says, I and the father are one. And the response to both of those, if you go back to John 8, 58, if you go to, to John 10, 30, if you read the next verse, it says, they picked up stones to kill him. The very fact that Jesus was God is what caused and, and pushed people to want to take his life. We know that this is essential to us. We know that G Jesus isn't just a God. He's not one of many gods. We're not polytheistic in our understanding of God. Jesus is God. And so it's essential for us to understand this in, in, in regards to a couple different things. One, um, it gives us assurance that our sins are forgiven. It gives us assurance. Only God can forgive sin. Only God can forgive sin. So for Jesus to show up on the scene and, and say your sins are forgiven or the lamb who comes to take away the sins of the world, this doesn't make sense unless he is God. Unless he's God. No human, no man could ever save man. Only one God and one man, one mediator. And so if Jesus is not fully God and he's not fully man, he couldn't atone for the sins of the people. But there is no salvation for us. And what we know about Jesus being God is there is salvation available. Salvation is available. Only he, as the fully divine son, could pay the infinite penalty for sin. And only he, as a human, could be substitute for sinful human beings. That's good news to us. And so we've seen Jesus comes to take on the sins of the world as God himself. Jesus is the word. We've seen that Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And it says in verse 14 of John chapter one, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now there are a lot of commentaries that try to grab an understanding of this word, word, and describe why did John use the word, word, which is logos, why, why did he use that to describe Jesus? And ultimately, that, that word logos is a cross-cultural term. It's, there's a, a pre-identified understanding. So people would come to understand when they heard that, they didn't know who Jesus was, but they understood this idea of logos. And they're like, to identify Jesus as logos uh, was a way of connecting it. It was to point that to a person, that Jesus is this person. N.T. Wright says this, Greek philosophers spoke of the word as kind of a principle of rationality, 
lying deep within the whole cosmos of within all human beings. It says, get in touch with this principle, they said, and your life will find its true meaning. Basically, come, come to really gravitate towards understanding this logos and you'll find your true meaning in life. Well, maybe John is saying to them, but the word isn't an abstract principle. It's a person and I'm gonna introduce you to him. It's, he's ultimately saying the source you've been looking for, the thing you've been looking for, the thing that gives you understanding and meaning and significance and purpose and satisfaction and joy and life, that thing, that logos that you've been looking for, it's not this abstract principle, it's Jesus. And he's pointing us to that. He's saying the source of life, the source of light, the source of forgiveness, the source of security, the source of salvation is found in this person, Jesus. And so we've seen that. We've looked, how many times have we seen that all of the festivals, right? All of the festivals of what they were celebrating in Jesus, in Jewish culture, Jesus was actually the better fulfillment of those things. They come in and they, they light the menorah to celebrate the festival of lights and Jesus comes in and says, I'm the true light, right? We see Jesus come into the wedding of Cana and he takes these uh, cleansing pots to, to wash your hands to be made clean. And Jesus says, we have no use for those anymore. Like I've come to bring new wine. Jesus said, I'm the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus comes in and the woman at the well and, and she's looking for something that will satisfy and quench her thirst. And he says, I'm the better water. I'm the living water. To take of me, you'll never thirst again. And we see this over and over. Jesus is saying, I'm the ultimate fulfillment. He makes it very, very clear that all of life has occurred to point to this reality that he is the person we're looking for. All right, Jesus is creator. In verse three, it says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus doesn't have a beginning. He wasn't created. And you know what that means? If, if he wasn't created is that he's over all of creation. Now, if you're over all of creation, if everything that was created was done through him, you have the power over creation. Now, I want you to think about that for a little bit because we don't have the power of over, over creation. We can't make something out of nothing, right? We build a home. It requires like, we can't say like, let there be wood and nails and hammers. Like it, we, we have to come to that with, with something of matter. Jesus has the power over creation, meaning he can do things that are, are impossible for you and I. We see that. Water to wine. He's an agent of creation, right? Think about the life of Lazarus. Man, we spent so much time there looking at the... the he brought life to someone who was decaying. Who can do that? Only an agent of creation. And so we've seen this. And, and the question for us is, do we know his creative power for ourselves? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Like we've never created something out of nothing. He has. And he's showing us and illustrating to us over and over and over again throughout this, this gospel that he is the agent of creation. He brings about new life. We've seen that over and over again. Jesus' life, verse four, 
John chapter one, it says, in him was life. In him was life, right? One scholar said, this is an essentially modern message because we live in a culture that's looking for hope or life. For some, hope has been anchored in human systems and possibilities. For younger generations, there often seems to be no hope. As they look at the world, they feel despair. The key here is that I must proclaim a Christological eschatology. Basically, I need to point people forward to what's going to happen in the end of all things, that Jesus is supreme over all of creation. I need to point people to this, that the ultimate and final message of this world is anchored in the possibilities brought about through God in Christ, or else I have betrayed the very essence of what God has done in the incarnation. And ultimately, he's just saying that we have this anchor. We have this thing that he has shown us the ability to have life in a, in a world that is experiencing death and decay. I, I don't have to convince any of us of that. We, we look around and we go, this world's a mess. And we are anchored in an eschatological reality that is pointing to a future time where Jesus says he's going to make all things new and he's going to bring life. We just celebrated uh, my 95-year-old grandma went to be with the Lord this past week. And just think about her. Her, her grandmother uh, lived to be 111. That's a lot of life. But you can be physically alive and not spiritually alive. We want to be spiritually alive. We want to know that when this life comes to end, after 95 years, after 111 years, whatever time the Lord gives us, that we have life. And Jesus has come over and over again to give us life. Life that is full. Life that is abundant. You're looking for something It's found in Jesus. John chapter 10, Jesus comes and says uh, that spiritual life, eternal life, flourishing life, it comes through him. He's the good shepherd. He comes to lay down his life for the sheep. The way we're going to have life is it comes through his death, which is what we're going to see in John chapter 12 again, because he says this very uh, crazy paradox of a statement that if if it's going to be fruitful, something has to die. And a lot of time we don't live that way. We don't experience that death actually, life actually comes from death. Something has to die. Jesus says, I'm going to be the good shepherd. I'm going to be the one to go and lay down my life so that you may have life. And so Jesus comes and he shows us and illustrates and gives us the ability to have life. If we'll submit our life to him. This life was the light of men, that ultimately, like when we live in this life, it demonstrates and illustrates to the world around us, like, man, where do they get life like that? We want that life. That's what he promised us that this book would do in John chapter 20, that if we would read this book and we would believe, we would know these things to be true, that we would have life, right? And then we see that Jesus is light, In verse four and five, in him was life and that life was the light of men. And what did that light do? The light shined in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So what we see Jesus coming to do is he's pulling things into the light. Now that's scary for many of us, right? 
But here's what I want you to, to hear this morning. And this is what we said, particularly when we walked through John chapter four, when we looked back at Jesus with the woman at the well who was caught in sin. And we, we look at her life and we would say, Jesus does not come to exploit our sin, but to expose our sin. Jesus as a good friend, someone who is loving and gracious, does not come to shame us or guilt us, but he comes to expose our sin to lead us to truth. There may be sins that we're walking in that we don't even know, that we may feel innocent, and Jesus wants to, us to be aware of that so that we could have life in him. Some of those, we're, we're being defeated by Satan and sin because we're walking in shame and guilt, and he comes to expose that sin so he can tell you, you don't have to hide anymore, that you don't have to hide in darkness anymore, that you don't have to feel shameful about that, that I've come so that, that, that you don't have to live in condemnation, that I've come to die for your sins so that you could walk in truth and walk in light. He comes to expose, not to exploit. And so Jesus comes as the light. And Jesus comes as a friend. We've seen Jesus as friend. We've seen this relationship with Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He dwelt among us. The word of God became flesh in the person of Jesus. And he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. We're seeing again. We want to see. We want to see. To be a friend, to be a good friend, is to be someone full of grace and full of truth. You catch that in John chapter 1, verse 14? To be a friend is not someone who is only full of grace and doesn't always tell the truth. To be a good friend is not someone who just tells the truth and doesn't offer grace. To be a good friend is someone who offers both grace and truth. Jesus was the full embodiment of both. He didn't compromise one for the other. We often do. He was full of grace, full of truth. He loved them. He loved them enough to tell them the truth. He loved them enough to walk with them graciously, to help shepherd them, to lead them. But he reminded them of what is true and where life was found. And this led us to John chapter 12. We began John chapter 12 by saying three things. We're all looking for a king. The king we want, the king we desire, is not the king we need. They wanted a political king. They wanted someone who would come in and engage in warfare. And Jesus is like, the war I'm fighting is one that's unseen. The king we want is not the king we need. Jesus is the king. And he comes and he reveals this and he comes riding in on a donkey. We saw that in John chapter 12 and we're like, what in the world? What's going on? Because the whole story is meant to see, do you see Jesus? Jesus didn't come as this person on a throne. He came as a humble servant on a donkey coming to give his life for you and I to see the king. 
In verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God. Only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. So if you're sitting here and you're like, man, I wish I could see God. You want to see God? See Jesus. How do we see Jesus? Spend some time with us in John's gospel this semester. That's what we're going to be doing over the next year as we continue to walk through John's gospel. We want to see Jesus. We come as John 12, 20 through 21, as these Greeks come, we want to see Jesus. And we're going to see Jesus's response to that next week. Here's my question and response for you this morning. Okay. If we were to fully believe, we see Jesus as creator, Jesus as life, Jesus as light. We see all these attributes and characteristics of who Jesus is. We spent a year walking through all these attributes and characteristics of who Jesus is. We've seen them displayed. We've seen his love. We've seen his friendship. We've seen his care. We've seen his truth. The question I have for us this morning, what truth about Jesus do I need to see this morning? Where do I need help believing this morning? If your response this this morning, I need to see Jesus. What is it that you need to see about the nature and character of Jesus this morning? Maybe it's that he is creator of all, that he is all powerful, that he is the agent of creation. Maybe there is things that you're walking into this week that are extremely challenging and you need to, to have visibility that Jesus, whatever circumstances, whatever life stands in front of me, I know you're over that, that you have the power and agency over it. Maybe that you need to see that he is the life, that, that you're, you're really wrestling through where is satisfaction and joy coming from? And maybe this week you've even experienced just a sense of hopelessness, a sense of loss, a sense of going, where, where do I find significance and purpose, and I just need help believing that it is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. That he is the light that he's come to expose. I need help believing that, that, that I don't have to walk in, in darkness any longer, that I don't have to walk in shame, that I can come and live freely open in this understanding that Jesus has forgiven all of my sins, that he dwells amongst us, that he's a friend that's close, that we're not isolated, that we're not alone this morning, that he knows exactly what's going on. And we need to see that about Jesus this morning. That Jesus comes, that he dispels the darkness. Maybe we need to see that this morning, that there's nothing too dark that he can't shine his light on and reveal. I would just encourage you to trust him, to trust him. He is trustworthy. He is the creator. He knows how things work. He knows how your life is meant to be lived. And if we come with honesty, authenticity, clarity, and just say, I want to see Jesus, I believe he'll answer that. Let's pray this morning as the worship team comes forward. Father, I pray in the the next few moments, even as we sing, as we're reminded, as we Uh, declare these gospel truths that you would help us see who you are, that you'd help us know the truth about who you are. We come, as in John 12, verse 20, 
We want to see Jesus. In the next few moments, Lord, we just want to see you. We want to see you. That by seeing you this morning, our life will be changed. We want to see you. We want to hear you. We want to know you. Lord, lead us and guide us in the next few moments. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.